This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is pre-recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Online at WTK.com. So, as we welcome in a couple of our MGO Blog Roundtable guests uh, early, and Craig Ross and Seth Fisher, I uh, got a tweet from at T Row 511 says, Sam, how can you have the same level of su- success if you're not getting the same quality players? Now, look, I, I, I'm I, what I'm arguing is is that y- you would have to apply the, the sort of John Beeline formula if you aren't getting. If you aren't getting top 10 classes every year, and, and to be clear, John Beeline got a couple of top 10 classes there, and the years that he didn't, he was still getting prospects that were in the top 100. So it's not like every guy he got was a developmental three-star, right? But he was not consistently in the top five and top 10, and yet by the end of his tenure, uh, he was putting out more first-round draft picks than anyone in the Big Ten. Like in the 2010s, I think John Beeline I mean, the only schools that had done better with first-round picks uh, had been, I think it was like Duke and Kentucky. I mean, it was, it was like those schools. So he, despite not having top five, top ten classes, uh, his, his formula was such that he was still able to compete with the elites. Now, how did he do that? They had excellent, excellent, excellent scouting. I'm repeating myself for those who are just joining us. They had excellent scouting, second to none, some of the best in the country. Player development was... Uh, was among the best in the country as well from both skill development and physical development. And then the, the final pillar to their success is every coach could recruit. Every single guy on staff was an excellent relationship builder and recruiter. So they were recruiting from a shallower pool because they did not cheat. Uh, they had a self-imposed maybe limitation in that they didn't offer guys until halfway through their high school careers without, without exception. Uh, and yet, because they had all those other ingredients in place, they were still able to achieve success. I think Michigan has a similar dynamic in place. It's not the same. It's not an apples for apples comparison. Uh, but the NIL approach is a limiting factor for them when it comes to recruiting rankings. Uh, does that necessarily have to uh, equate to uh, less success, less competition uh, on the field? I don't think it has to. I think they can, they can, there's a formula or a way through where they can still compete at a high level, but it, that too would need some tweaks, T-Roll. I hope I answered the question. And guys, I wonder what you think about that, about the, the John Beeline application to football, even though I know that would be a, a lot harder to accomplish in that sport. I think it's plausible. Uh, I mean, Beeline was able to do it because that staff could really evaluate uh, talent and they saw what could project. I mean, I'll, I'll give you 
an example that I hope comes true. I looked at the seven on seven tape the last couple of days of um, Fred Moore and uh, Samaj Morgan. Now, Fred Moore is not a huge recruit because he's supposedly slow. Uh, Samaj Morgan's not a huge recruit because he is small. Uh, but I looked at, at those tapes and they both can run routes. Well, Fred Bolitnikoff was not fast and wasn't particularly big, but he was about as good a wide receiver as I ever saw. And so the, you know, sometimes uh, you, you, you can go sort of a little off the track and find someone who can actually play. I'm going to predict that both Fred Moore and Samaj Morgan will be good Big Ten players. I'm not saying they'll be NFL players because of, of certain physical limitations they may have. But as good Big Ten players, yeah. And can, and can you win with guys like that? I'm guessing you can. And so I think you can go a little off the beaten track. And I've been arguing this for a long time, Sam, on this show that I feel like recruiting ratings are somewhat overvalued. And I feel like they may be more overvalued uh, with pay for play. When you get people in your program who are now all of a sudden backbiting. And, uh, and I think pay for I, what, play. What do you mean backbiting? What do you mean? <laughs> well, kid A gets a uh, million dollars. Kid B shows up in the program is as good as kid A or better. And he's getting $100,000. So what's the difference between that and when they go to the NFL or the NBA? Well, or or Craig well, Ross's law firm. One difference you hire, is transfer. You hire everyone in at the same at the same mm. right when you hired into your law firm. Did everyone get paid the same? Or did well, my you law firm. What, my law firm was either Washtenaw County or me. And yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, I'll tell you what: at Washtenaw County, all the lawyers made the same. And when well, I was hired I in, it was all about twelve thousand dollars. I think that's a very unique place, Craig. I, I think in most in most places you walk in, you're gonna have people making different amounts. You're gonna have some people making more than you that you think that you should be making as much as or more than. And you figure out a way to deal with it. And they certainly figure out a way to deal with it in pro locker rooms in a way that doesn't blow up those locker rooms. And, and, and all of us on this, I mean, all of us on the show right now understand Sam's getting more than the rest of us to be on the show right now. <laughs> and we also understand that we couldn't do this show without Sam. He's a five star. He's the guy who stirs the drink, right? That's he, he deserves the money. And we're all just happy to be on the team with him. Right, uh, people. People know That's how to deal with this. Deal, nil deals for sale. Nil deals. People for have been dealing with this thing for years. I mean, if someone wants to give me some nil money, I'll take it. But I, it's I'm I'm not sitting around going like, oh, everyone in every job deals with that same scenario. The problem I have, and I know we need to get to break soon, guys. But um, problem I have with the scenario you're describing is Michigan's already as better than everybody else at scouting as you can be. I don't think there, I, there are very few teams in the country. Maybe Notre Dame is the only one equaling them right now at finding guys from the three-star ranks that other people don't see. Hassan Haskins, no one even knew about that guy. They kept him secret the whole time. Quiddy Pay, you know, like they they've been finding guys every single class. Uh, Damani Dent this year, it's that guy should absolutely be a four-star. So they've they've been doing this more than other teams. I I. You go through the Penn State three stars and they're three stars. Michigan's already very good at it. Where NIL is damaging them right now, and I don't know if this is going to stay because the market's going to find itself, is that those top players, the ones who are great academically, who are you, 
cannot miss, who've made themselves great because they practice so much. They go to all the, they, they get as much coaching as they can. They work with trainers. These guys have made themselves better players, not just born with it. And those are the five stars, the guys who've already put in a ton of time. And you don't have to put in a ton of time in them. You can start working immediately on, you know, your system because they can adapt to it. Those guys are highly valued, and now they're getting paid a lot of money. And Michigan saying, we're not going to pay guys up front for the work that they've already done to create, to put themselves in this position to be valuable football players, I think is wrong. I think it's putting them behind. It's just completely misguided. We need to get to a break. We can obviously pick this up and talk conference expansion as well. On the other side with the MGO Blog Roundtable here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider, Sports Talk 1050, WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Ira Weintraub on the other side. And it is time for the MGO Blog Roundtable with the crew from MGOblog.com. Starting off first, man, it started all over there at MGO Blog. One, Mr. Brian Cook. Brian, good morning. How are you? Morning. I'm good. <clears throat> all right. And then Seth and Craig, Craig and Seth, you guys are here in the, in the last segment. Uh, and you're picking back up just before we move on to talking to conference expansion. Did you have any, did you, were you finished with your thought there, Seth? Did you have a rebuttal there, Craig, that you wanted to get on the last point that we were talking about, yeah. about uh, NIL? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's useful to distinguish between NIL and PFP. And what Michigan is not doing is pay for play. They are doing NIL. Uh, they're not doing pay for play and whether they can endure in an environment where one, they're not doing pay for play and where, and where, uh, and where at least in the short term, it looks like maybe Jim Harbaugh doesn't want to be at Michigan, uh, where certainly that's being said by other, other, other programs. Uh, I think it makes it very difficult for, for, for Michigan to recruit well. Now, I don't think it's impossible. I do think uh, you can be line it. I think you can find guys who can play who aren't uh, five stars or high, highly regarded four stars, but I think it's very, very difficult. And whether they can do it or not remains to be seen. But, you know, right now it's legitimate for fans to be concerned. And it may be, as Seth and Brian seem to have said, and they're probably right that Michigan will just get burned badly by this and we'll have to start playing the game too. Um, well, so what's going to happen, and, I think, is that Michigan, Michigan's boosters are just as upset as a lot of the fans are, I think. Mm-hmm. And right now, a lot of them are just, they're, they're jumping in the game. They're, gonna, they're playing the NIL game that Michigan wants them to, but some of them are going to go rogue because there's nothing stopping them anymore. They used I to, mean, like, go ahead. They can't. They can't go rogue when it's not like barred anymore, right? It's not going rogue. It's just like <laughs> doing the thing that you can do. Exactly. Like turning right and a no red turn signal when it's a green light. It's like, all right, well, that's fine, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree with them. I just, um, I think that the way that this got quote unquote legalized was maximally bad for Michigan fans because there's no real clarity to what is and isn't allowed now in practice everything's allowed but it's not like the ncaa came down from on high and said these are the things that are good and these are the things that are bad they just kind of like threw up their hands at a bunch of state legislation all of all all of which conflicts so in an uncertain environment michigan apparently is deciding to play by the queensberry rules and they're about to go into an mma cage and they're about to see what what happens 
when you put up your little fisticuffs like the uh, the fighting Irish guy in 2022. <laughs> it's they're going to learn their lesson. They're just going to take a couple bad recruiting classes in the process and miss out. I mean, like this is going to happen one year. Would you rather miss out on Dante Moore because of it? Would you rather miss out on Will Johnson because of it? Like, who's the guy? What what year? What, how about Donovan Edwards? Like, what year? Are you going to lose the guy who otherwise would be the capstone on your class because you're the one school, and not the only school, but you're you're the main school that is really getting out in front and telling everybody we're not paying freshmen, which is resonating. I went to their – this was Michigan's own um, Mich- Michigan's own camp that they had uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was there in line with all these parents and coaches and their kids just waiting to get into Michigan Stadium, and they're all talking about – Harbaugh's comments from up north where he was like, you know, we're transitional, not transactional. And it's like they they treat that as an FU. They're, they're, they believe that the program is saying you have not done enough work yet to be worth anything. And all of them are at a camp that they've driven to, that they're paid to go to, not their first camp, not the first time they've done anything football. It's not like these guys have not been making football their lives for years by the point they get to, especially the five stars. I just think they're wrong. They're fundamentally wrong about the, the whole concept that these guys should not be paid. By the time you get to the point where you're a five-star recruit, you are valuable because you've made yourself valuable. Oh, look, if there was no value to it, you wouldn't see every every program in the country, including Michigan, list the recruiting rankings of the prospects <laughs> in their profile when they introduce them, right? I mean, there is there is some inherent value uh, in that, and and to me, I just don't see the distinction here between uh, the impact of of freshmen being paid from rookies being paid in professional leagues, and those those locker rooms seem to do just fine. I do believe there's an adjustment period that you have to look to. Where, yeah, I think there be some. I think there are nil issues in locker rooms right now. I think I'm sure Michigan has had some where you have guys looking at another guy and how much he's getting paid and that having to be sort, sorted through. This is all new, and it's going to tax the coaches in ways that they haven't been taxed before. But you know what's going to happen? Over time, everyone's going to adjust. Over time, that freshman that got paid uh, had a deal coming in, he's going to be a senior, and he's going to see other freshmen coming in with deals, and it's not going to be a big deal anymore because they went through it themselves. So it'll, it'll cycle through, and it'll be fine eventually. I'm talking about for those other places where freshmen – are getting paid. And my big issue with this, I want to move off this topic so we can talk about freshmen, uh, about conference expansion. My issue with, with all of this is not freshmen getting, I don't think it should be a, a rule or a law that bars prospects from getting paid. I don't. I mean, look, you let the market determine that. You let the market settle it, if you will. But I just, I disagree. I disagree with the notion that, you know, foregoing being paid is is somehow pure of 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 heart that you are it is more integrity laden for you to do so that is you're more of a team person if you forego getting paid right now i disagree with all of those artificial constructs and harken back to what amateurism was at its inception which was a mechanism of exclusion and it became a mechanism of control and this is just removing both of those with NIL, and I'm all for it. My issue is that not everyone is playing by the same rules. Just make the rules the same for everyone, 
and then and then let's go out and compete. And I say let all the guys get paid. As far as I'm concerned, let the market dictate. Yeah, I mean that strikes to the heart of the problem in in some sense. In that right now, I think Michigan believes it's playing by the rules, uh, and everyone else is driving 75 in a 70 zone. And, 75. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Whatever you do, whatever you define it. This is like Matt. This is like Michigan showing up in Mad Max Fury Road in his Studebaker and being like, "What's going <laughs> on, guys?" <laughs> yeah, that's well said because that that's what it is, uh, in 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 reality. But Michigan says no. You know, we're going to play by what we perceive the rules are, and I don't I don't see that changing until it is clear. Uh, what the rules are. So I think, I think Sam has, has struck to the, to the core of the problem. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully uh, they, they figure out a way through that. It's, it's not so much. It's not so painful. I, I termed it short-term pain for long-term gain. I just hope it's not, you know, hope it's not too painful uh, in the interim. I mean, you raised some great points being Hassan Haskins, the developmental guy, Quiddy pay a developmental guy. Question is, can you have enough of those developmental guys to compete annually, like no, my, every year. My point is that Michigan's already as good at that as they're going to get. You're not get, Michigan is already one of the best, if not the best, in the country at finding guys that they they scout guys themselves and find people who are underrated. They are so good at it that it's really hard to get any better at it. All right, let's talk about conference expansion, guys. Uh, USC, UCLA to the Big Ten. This was the move that we talked about last year being the obvious retort, the obvious uh, reply to the SEC luring Texas and Oklahoma. Took a year for it to take place, but that's about how long these discussions have been going on, Brian, according to the USC. Talk started last year, really picked up steam in the last couple of months, and then boom, here you go. Yeah, um, and it's it's funny because, you know, the bowl alliance period and then the BCS and then it's always like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 – the most important thing is the Rose Bowl. That's the most important thing. And then push comes to shove and the Big Ten's like, let's destroy that. That's the first thing we're going to do now that we're a little afraid that the other conference that's already beating our ass is going to have a little bit more money is destroy the Rose Bowl. Destroy the Pac-12. Have it broken up into little bits that the Big 12 is going to be able to pick off. I mean, it just really strikes the hypocrisy of the whole situation where it's just like, yeah, there's no honor among these thieves. So whatever traditions that you enjoyed in college football, get a middle finger and we get to see UCLA and USC uh, do their thing in the Big Ten, which will be somewhat interesting. But I mean, I don't think we're done yet, even though, you know, we've seen some financial numbers about Washington and Oregon that says that they'll be not even close to pulling their weight, which I found a little bit hard to believe, but um, it's uh, a situation where what the big tens at 16 teams now. And like, are they going to stop there or are they going to go to 20? I don't know. So I don't think the, the dust has settled yet and probably won't settle for a couple of years. And when we, do see whatever the finished product is. I think you're going to have two super conferences and then a lot of detritus. And I don't think that's good for the sport. Craig, when, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. funny that Brian brings up no, no honor amongst thieves. And I, I have to sit here and, and say that 
I was an advocate for for lack of honor among thieves. Uh, <laughs> when, when when Kevin Warren and Klyavkov and and the ACC commissioner got together for this alliance last year, I said at the time, these are not your friends, Kevin Warren. This they're a means to an end. You are if your objective is blocking the the voting power of the SEC and playoff expansion, then fine. But the minute you have the opportunity to pick off USC or UCLA or North Carolina, pick them off. That's what you have to do to to better your position for your league. That is your primary responsibility. And it seems like that's what he went out there and executed. Well, yeah. I mean, the whole landscape has changed. I mean, right now it's quote legal to pay players. You know, uh, Ohio State comes in and says, hey, Boosters, we need 13 or $15 million to keep our guys here, to keep them from, from going into the portal. And, and at the, so at the same time to say, well, the schools should play by some old traditional rules seems, I don't know, a little odd. Uh, maybe that's right. But, you know, as far as I can tell from the, the readings I've done on this, it doesn't seem like it's the Big Ten going out and trying to put trying in and of itself to put together a super conference. It seems like it's Fox Sports and ABC <laughs> going out and saying, hey, if you guys do this, if you drag in USC and UCLA, we will pay you over a billion dollars a year um, and, and as a conference and maybe even more than that. And so this to me feels like uh, the sort of uh, same thing that's going on on the player side. It's it's the media coming coming to the schools and saying, "Hey, do this. Here's your conference, and here's how much money we're, you're going to get paid if you do this." Um, whether there's, I I think there's this isn't the end. Uh, I, it was stunning at how little noise there was about this leading up to it, uh, but I don't think it's the end. I mean, there's all kinds of rumors now. Uh, I know it seems that Washington and uh, Oregon have been put on have been put on hold uh, pending what happens with Notre Dame and maybe Stanford and maybe North Carolina. I don't know, but I, I, I suspect a 20 team conference by the time the dust clears and uh, it feels plausible in basketball and uh, football, how plausible it is in uh you know, other sports, we'll have to wait, wait and see. Uh, I can't see teams traveling every other weekend, uh, 30, you know, 6,600 miles from Maryland to uh, LA. So I don't know. Well, you know, in the, in hockey East, they have this travel partner concept where yeah. you go to one team on a Friday and the next team on a Saturday. I think you're going to do that with the LA schools where like if Michigan goes and plays at, USC, they're going to play at UCLA and the next day or the day after. I mean, okay. It's yeah. really the only way to make it workable for sports other than football. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that seems right. I mean, UCLA could add hockey and then that kind of brings uh, Arizona well, State back in. UCLA. Can you, can you imagine being a baseball coach at one of those schools? <laughs> <laughs> You're you, like, you, are you serious? I mean, they've been dragging along the the Pac-12 forever too. So, like, I mean, Oregon State just got good, but like, Oregon State, their big wins would be over UCLA. So it's like, I mean, they they've kind of been in there too. I mean, they're losing the Arizona schools is what they're losing. Um, yeah, but I like, mean, is is it plausible, Seth, that that we'll see an, an another uh, 
hockey school come out of this. Yes, UCLA seems very interested in doing hockey. They've had a hockey, they've had like one of the best club hockey teams for a very long time and mm-hmm. have been exploring moving up uh, multiple times before. And it just always just didn't make sense to do it in their conference situation. So I think that this is a, li- it's a likely scenario that UCLA starts it. I don't think USC has any interest whatsoever. Um, that's just my understanding talking to the UCLA hockey uh, account for on uh, DMs for a little bit. Anyway, um, the big okay, thing is that Fox guy. and Disney are really running the show here, right? Mm-hmm. This is not the Kevin Warren is just along for the ride, right? All the yeah. presidents are along for the ride. They they mm-hmm. see Fox come in and say, "Look, you're going to get twelve million dollars a year if you stay on your current uh, current deal because we're losing cable, and, or you're going to make twenty five million dollars a year if we." make a move here. What they want to do is capture enough market that every single week there's going to be a big game to fill the big game slot. There's going to be a, another big national game to fill the 330 slot. They're going to have a great night game every single week. Like That's that's what they're looking at. It's all TV considerations, uh, which, you know, that's not done yet. That whole market is not done transitioning. So I think this is going to be an ongoing process for 20 years and I said this when Miami uh, left the uh, the Big East. I'm like, this is this is the start of a very long process of uh, of everyone figuring out where they're going to be. It's just kind of funny that you know Indiana and Rutgers are along for the ride. All this. <laughs> well, you look if 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 Kevin Warren is along for the ride, then Sankey was along for the ride when ESPN basically yeah. said, "Hey, Texas, Oklahoma, we'll if you can't afford it, if it's too big a price price tag, we'll help you pay it." Right, ESPN seem to drive be a driving force behind that move and maybe that's maybe those are the two power brokers here uh whatever the case may be the the question now is what's their net that uh those networks or uh those conferences their next target i think that for the big 10 it's obvious it's notre dame they apparently put the brakes on washington and oregon for that reason uh, but a very close second i have to say I have to guess would be North Carolina. And, you know, I know a source, and we, we got this, I know Ira got this in this morning from a, a, a SEC source who said the SEC's next target, North Carolina, Clemson, North Carolina, and Duke. Been hearing a lot of Clemson smoke, but it does set up for North Carolina, especially to be a battleground program between well, these leagues. So I do have a slight disagreement with Seth about whether the conference commissioners have a role here because, you know, Whatever Scott, whatever his name, that, that guy, the Pac-12 commissioner who is in Larry Scott, yeah, Larry he's Scott, gone. He, he's gone. It's Kliakoff as there. Yeah, I know, but like th- he's the reason that the Pac-12 didn't have a grant of rights, and the ACC has a grant of rights for I think the next thirteen or fourteen years. Twenty thirty-five. Okay, so they're going to be not available, I think, until maybe a couple years before that. So the the ACC is probably going to hang together for the next decade or so. Because you think there, there's talk that... There's talk, but like, you know, the grant of rights is like, yeah, you could leave the conference, but we still have your rights. So <laughs> like, what value does that school have for any conference for the next decade? And a couple of articles at The Athletic looked at trying to wriggle out from underneath those, and it's very difficult. So... I, I do think that that would be prohibitive. And honestly, if I'm Duke and if I'm North Carolina, I'm not interested because I have the ACC and, you know, Miami can go and Clemson can go. And that doesn't affect what the important thing is for my school, which is basketball. Like 
we I mean the ACC is already kind of a basketball league, but it has these like football focused schools that are pretty bad at basketball. And if those teams go, I don't think that you know Duke is going to be like, oh no, our 15 team league is now 12, and I have UNC in here, I have NC State, I have Wake Forest, I have all my my local rivals, and I also have a conference that can get me a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And I don't think they care about football that much. I I, I think I agree. If if you're talking about uh, tradition and uh, and and basketball tradition and 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 ties, but I wonder if a hundred million dollars trumps all that. Maybe I mean maybe. Yeah, I, I mean yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean I couldn't. It's hard for me to envision that Duke would be happy being in the same conference with say Mississippi and Alabama and Mississippi. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Somehow but, that just doesn't payout, feel like it's. But if the pay, I don't know what the ACC payout is now. Yeah. But if if you're talking about schools getting a hundred million dollars per year, what becomes untenable is mm. just being a member of another conference boosts your boosts your payout by you know it doubles your payout. It's like oh, well, I mean that's just too much money for them to turn down. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know what the you talk about the wriggle room with the with the grant of rights. I I don't know. I guess you know there are some some lawyers who say they might be able to get out of it. I don't know. I, there are some talk. My that, understanding that, of that, uh, and I'm pretty sure of this is that you basically have to break up the ACC to to make that work. So was which it, is was it eight teams? Eight teams have to leave. Was that the number? I I don't remember the exact number, but that's basically what it is. They need to. The only way to do it, uh, really, is to break up the ACC to the point where the ACC is like, okay, we're going to we're giving this up because there's no, um, <clears throat> and that's plausible. I mean, it's certainly plausible that like Clemson and Miami jump to the SEC and you know UNC and Duke go to the Big Ten and. That would do it, right? Like, does Notre Dame count in that in, in that uh, equation at all? Do I don't know? think so because they're not a full member. They, I think Notre, Notre Dame, Dame has is under Notre Dame is signed for, through um, yeah. that if they they have a rule that if they join a conference, it has to be the ACC uh, un- until that that contract runs out. So mm-hmm. they have a their own scenario where it's prohibitively expensive to leave, but they don't have full grant of rights left. What they do have is a you have to leave if you if sorry if you join a conference you have to join the ACC and again if you break up the ACC that goes away. Yeah, how how interested are these networks? You know, is the network interested enough to blunt whatever that you know whatever that price tag is? You know, we'll offset that sum. You're gonna have to pay some penalty, but we'll maybe chop it in half. Is is Fox uh, that interested in Notre Dame? Be interesting to see. Is ESPN that interested in Clemson? Be interesting to to see. But that's the team that I'd heard smoke about. The first I've heard about North Carolina and Duke being part of the top target list for the SEC was from this SEC source that we have this morning. I would have thought it would have been Clemson, Florida, and, and Miami, Florida State, Miami. Uh, but it sounds like Carolina and Duke are are, are battleground uh, properties for the SEC. Yeah, it's just like I don't want Duke and the Big Ten because like <laughs> they don't bring anything in football, and then they make winning a title in basketball really hard. <laughs> like I don't like I, I kind of liked it when the Big Ten was ten teams and you could like win titles a lot, and now it's going to be like, well, it's uh, twenty fifty six, and last time we won a Big Ten title was thirty years ago because we got sixty five teams in this conference. Come on, I mean, I. Yeah. 
I put out a I, I put out a thing before where like the sensible way, the most sensical way that they can put this all together is if these two leagues grab so much that they become like an American and National League and then break themselves into divisions that more or less recreate the old ten division leagues. Like put yeah, the whole old Big make, Ten together, put Penn State out with the ACC sense teams. Anymore. Like, they have because, that division breakdown? Well, no, but if they if we're talking about like, okay, they can't add Washington and and Oregon because those teams will only be worth sixty million dollars a year and the payout is gonna be a hundred, mm-hmm. then Stanford's not going to get picked up. Cal's not going to get picked up. Utah's not going to get picked up. None of these schools, like we're bifurcating on like who can bring in money and who's like lucky, like Northwestern and Vandy. Um, but like teams that are currently out in the cold, bringing them back in defeats the entire purpose of bringing in USC and UCLA in the first place. Yeah, I think I, I wonder if part of it is we talk about riding on the coattails because it sounds like UCLA had to ride the coattails of USC. And so maybe if you get a Stanford in, maybe that's in conjunction with a Notre Dame. If you get Duke in, maybe that's only if you can get a Carolina. That might be the way to get you – know, that might be a means to an end if you want those bigger ended entities. If you want Notre Dame, if you North, want North Carolina, maybe you, I, if you want USC, maybe you got to take UCLA. The Big Ten does not need to be a better basketball conference. <laughs> <laughs> right, my point but, is it's not going to happen all at once. I don't think you need to do this tomorrow. I think that so. Here's the question. Here's normal. question for you guys. You you be the commi- so assuming that they aren't done, and I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. What's your next move if if you think at least twenty is the threshold? So let's just set it at twenty. Who are your next four teams? If you don't want Duke or Carolina, Brian, who do you want as your next four teams? Um, so I think the thing that makes the most sense is if you can get them, and I'm just going to leave the financial stuff aside. Is Notre Dame. And then Stanford and Washington and Oregon. Because then I think you pretty much lock down the West Coast. You get Notre Dame. Notre Dame can be like, okay, we can still play Stanford. We can still play USC. We will deign to play the Big Ten teams occasionally. Um, And the travel stuff gets a little bit less weird because you have five teams on the West Coast. um, And you have pretty much the best athletic department in the country. In Stanford, you have... Um, a really good football program that brings a lot of Nike connections in Oregon. You have Washington, which is in Seattle. <laughs> That's all I got for Washington. Um, and, and those teams seem to fit culturally with the Big Ten. Uh, so, and they also don't terrify me as basketball programs by and large. So, yeah, that's, that, that, those would be the four that if I could pick to go to 20, those would be the four I pick. Seth? Yeah. Yeah, those, I, are, I, those are easy to the four. I mean, I. You could talk about North Carolina and Duke, but for all the reasons Brian suggested that, you know, they're not, you, you don't need a stronger basketball conference and you kind of need to have some more weight on that West coast right now. It's just very Midwestern and, and, and Notre Dame's always just been like, every time we've had this conversation since the nineties, it's been like Notre Dame. I mean the 1890s, Notre Dame. Yeah, Great. I think, uh, I think those are the right ones. I, I would, I guess I would go to Notre Dame and say, we're taking Cal. Otherwise, we'll take San Francisco, Seattle, uh, take Cal. Now you've got you've got teams on the West Coast. So you've minimized your some of your travel travel problems. Um, Notre Dame now is going to have a hard time scheduling some of its so-called traditional rivals. Uh, You you have two 10 team conferences. You play nine games uh, within the conference. I mean, at some point, are we? 
getting rid of the idea of non-conference games altogether. <laughs> That's what it's that. I mean, if you have a 20 team conference, you don't have much unless you just play inside the, inside your quote division. Uh, the, all, you know, it, you know, and you could get rid of pretty much get rid of non-conference games. Uh, my suggestion, if they go that way, you know, is you do uh, a win in your division counts two and a win outside of the division counts one. And you add up the total points. That way you minimize the the variance of, of schedules to to some degree. Um, and it makes it a more a more level playing field. But, yeah, if you've got a 20 team conference, um it's either really two separate leagues or it's uh or you're you're getting out of the non uh, out of the uh, uh you know games or you're getting or you're getting weird like the stuff that seth and i constantly propose where it's like <laughs> let's have dynamic schedules this will never work but it sounds cool yeah, yeah. relegation relegation right they might look at that now I mean, if you can't get you can't get rid of Northwestern and Rutgers and Indiana, like they might they might be interested in relegation ideas now, just to be like, okay, because the, the whole idea is getting these bigger games, right? So if you have a UCLA Indiana, you know, holding down your schedule, and you can make that a UCLA Michigan game instead, like that's kind of want to do that. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So uh, another another message from this this SEC source, and we got to get to a break. I'm just I am shocked that there's talk in sec land that there's little interest in florida state or miami i'm not i'm just surprised but i'm not doubting the source i'm just not that does that compute for you guys that they would be not that interested in florida state or miami i mean neither of those programs has been very good for a long time but it's florida maybe they feel like they already have uf and that's enough i don't know i mean I don't know how much media attention Miami actually gets in Miami. Mm-hmm. Like that's a pro sports town that turns out for the Canes when they're like number one for 70 straight weeks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but like they can't fill their stadium. They can't come anywhere close to filling their stadium. Florida state has just been kind of in the doldrums for a long time. Right. Need and... facility upgrades. I'd be interested in what their, what their financials look like. Like what do, to your point, <clears throat> what do they really bring to the table financially? Yeah. And that may be that may be why. But I mean, if you're talking about media markets, Miami's a pretty big one, so that does surprise me. And South Carolina is not. So <laughs> also you already have South Carolina. So it seems like Clemson is based solely on their recent success under Dabo Swinney, which might be ephemeral, especially if the playing field is level when it comes to, you know, under the table Money. incentives that are now over the table. So yeah, I mean, it, I guess it does surprise me because if UCLA and USC are attractive, despite not being that good in football over the past 10 years, USC has been up and down, I guess. Then it would seem like the same logic would apply to Miami, where it's like media market above all, even if it's a pro sports town like LA is for the most part. Rose Bowl was already destroyed by the BCS. When's the last time Big Ten champ, Pac-12 champ played in Rose Bowl? Wasn't mm-hmm. it like two years ago? It was uh, Penn State and USC in 2016. I know that was that one. I mean, that guy does have a point, but it is kind of like that's why they didn't want to go to like ex- they didn't want to expand the playoff. That was one of their reasons for not expanding the playoff. Like, they didn't you guys wanna... think you guys think there's any chance that this team's getting dropped? That's that's very hard to do legally, as I understand it. 
That is a yeah, very seems, difficult uh, expectation. It seems yeah, pretty doubtful. Yeah, I and don't like, see that. Who who would you drop? Because like Rutgers, Northwestern is Chicago's <laughs> Big Ten team. Yeah, right. Like, and Indiana has a very storied basketball program, and like to be I don't fair, Michigan is uh, the Big Ten. T- Michigan is Chicago's Big Ten team, if not yeah, Notre Dame. That, that's the joke. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> um. Uh, but like, who else are you dropping? Like Minnesota? That would be Rutgers. Terrible. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rutgers seems to be the the common theme here. But Rutgers was added because of the media market. So like, you still got the media market, I guess. It's that. I, I don't see any team getting dropped. I don't. I just don't see that happening unless somebody wants to be dropped. And I can't see the teams that are. Nobody uh, wants to be dropped. <laughs> unless yeah, they Chicago, nobody wants to be dropped. Unless Michigan decides to go full Chicago, not with, yeah. the, not with the money uh, being about uh, being close to what they're they're saying it's going to be. Uh, when we first started talking a hundred million dollars a couple of weeks ago, I was like, "There's just no way." Now, maybe this was maybe they were sort of letting us know something was on the horizon without saying it explicitly when they started throwing out those hundred million dollar uh, that hundred million dollar number because I just don't see how they would have gotten that without USC and UCLA. Without the LA market how, now, it makes sense. How, how are you grasping for another hundred million dollars and you can't pay the freshman? Well, that's not the Big Ten's problem anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah right. that's, that's, that's a Michigan that's, issue. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I agree with that. Totally unrelated, as we're back in about twenty seconds anyway. But I just got a press release that there is a a bipartisan legislation plan in the Michigan uh, State House that would legalize alcohol sales at college stadiums in the state of Michigan. Oh, God. <laughs> Level the playing field because it's already legal at Michigan State, I think is what the lining was. The line oh, is it? Was. Yeah, it I is. I didn't know that. I hadn't yeah. been there. You guys been getting ever. any any feedback on the, the lack of RVs now in the Pioneer lot? Coming yeah, back on yeah. you guys. came up at yes. city council. I don't know what happened there. Like, what, what possible motivation would Ann Arbor Public Schools have to do that. It's like, let's just cut off a lot of money that we get. Back to the roundtable, guys. It's time to get on board with a new Michigan baseball coach, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Seth knows more about this than I do. Uh, he's, I mean, this is Indiana's old coach. He, uh, he took a while, but he built Indiana into a pretty good program considering they're Indiana. And because of that, everyone wanted him. He went to Arizona State and absolutely failed there. Um, Talk is that nobody else really wanted him after that. Uh, a guy with that level should have been picked up and had some job in baseball last year and didn't. So I think Michigan kind of missed out on some of the guys that they wanted and were looking around and be like, okay, we need to get someone who can A, recruit, and that's you know one of the things he's always been able to do, and B, um, knows the Big Ten well enough. And you know this guy won in Indiana. So I don't know. I mean, I was not... I didn't know anything about Backage either when they got him, so I I think that it's it, it, it could work out, but obviously they didn't get any of the guys that they want that they had on the top of their list. Yeah, I mean Alex uh, Drain wrote a very thoughtful article at MGo Blog about this, and um, he was very I think down on on this choice. Also, I'm not so much. Uh, you know, Michigan did try and hire Penders at UConn, who would probably have been a good choice, but couldn't work it out with him. Uh, they tried to hire uh, uh, 
CMU guy. Blocking. Yeah, uh, no, they tried to hire Chris Fetter. Oh, Fetter, yeah, and, that was. Yeah, and he, he said it pretty he, early on that he wasn't going to leave the Tigers. He, he, he wasn't interested in the job. He would have been a great choice, of course. Uh, and he's doing well with the Tigers, who clobbered the Indians this week four times, or the Guardians. And uh, <laughs> sorry, the uh, uh, you know, and so Bischel at Central Michigan seemed like the obvious choice, and has done very well at Central Michigan, incredibly well at Central Michigan, and knows the Midwest, and has recruited well at CMU. But and Michigan interviewed him, but something must have happened there. In, incidentally, Bischel was. Also interviewed, I believe, by Northwestern and Ohio State and somebody else, and none of them hired him, which I found very, very odd, given given what his his history has been. And he's a younger guy. Uh, Tracy Smith is a is in his fifties, mid fifties, I think, mid to late fifties, perhaps. And and so it seems, at least superficially, not all that great. Although I, you know, the alternatives didn't look all that great either. They were, I think they were talking Michael Bradar, who's 27 years old and has never been a manager. So I think he's been a hitting coach in the Padres organization. And uh, Bobby Scales, who is a great, very good player here and, and has some professional experience, but he has always been kind of an, an administrator more than a, I think, than an on, on field guy. So, um, and I don't know if either one of those, either Bradar or Scales, Scales uh, were actually interested. So the uh, this feels to some extent like a default. On the other hand, he really did build a program that hadn't been very good and turned it into a very, very good program in Indiana. Uh, that track record is undeniable. Uh, and he got guys at Indiana who became good major league players. He recruited really well as Arizona State. Yeah, uh, there any, has there been any, uh, you know, background on why things didn't work at, at Arizona State? I mean, we yeah, know he had, there has, there has one been. really good player in Spencer Torkelson, right? Yeah, there has yeah, been. Yeah, I mean, he – if you go to Arizona State, you have to play the, the recruiting game, right? And you have to – you know, they certainly pay their players back there, and they—they're baseball parents too. Now, I—I th- I know every sport says, "Oh no, football parents are the worst, or hockey moms are the worst." Like baseball, to my understanding, takes the cake. Like the baseball parents are of all the parents the craziest parents. And Arizona State had more baseball parents than, and, and, and this has always been true. Arizona State is like they 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 live in that world that world goes and like centers themselves in the phoenix area at scottsdale area and like that's where the parents take their kids to live to you know become they're all marriage projects right they're they're just baseball becomes their entire lives since the time they're 12 so arizona state is like the epicenter of that and tracy smith was probably not the right guy for that program like i'm not as down on him as i think alex is over that mm-hmm. Arizona State time period because I think, you know, if you're thinking in terms of Michigan is trying to build, like, a humongous program and compete nationally with everybody, and they're going to spend the kind of money that it takes to do that, and they're going to pay the players to do that and work with parents and everything, then, yeah, he's not a really good pick. If you're coming at it from the perspective that Michigan's probably coming at it, which is we want a John Beeline who can run a program with the limitations that Michigan's going to put on you, then maybe he really is. Maybe he's a guy who really succeeded in the Midwest. And the added pressure of Arizona State and dealing with 
you know, that whole circus was just not his, that is not his jam. He's kind of a hands-off guy who it, like trusts his players. And the kind of player you get at Michigan is very dissimilar. I would say probably on the opposite extreme uh, from the type of player you normally get at Arizona State. So, yeah, Eric, that's... real quick, Eric, before he left, he was talking about how epic this incoming class was. Like, I got a bunch of dudes. This is an outstanding recruiting class. You know, talking about recruits in ways you don't typically hear coaches talk about recruiting. It's sort of like when Mel came on and said, I got the Fab Five. Like, this is like the Fab Five coming in. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't hear coaches hype their classes like that, but Eric was doing that. Here's the question. How much of that class is left now? Because I know some of those guys are peeling off after his they're, departure. So they're all, I think the reason they jumped, a lot of them jumped in the portal was they were worried about where Michigan was going to, so they wanted to give themselves an option. And that deadline was coming. That deadline was July 3rd or July 4th or something. So they had to be in the, uh, they had to be in the portal if they wanted to have the option to leave. So I don't think that they're going to lose everybody, but I think that of all the hires they they made, this is probably on the maybe lower end of guys able to, to hold on to that. Tracy Smith's a good recruiter. He knows what he's doing, but he also has to develop relationships with all of them. And I think that there was a higher chance of holding on to that class if there was some sort of continuity, which there probably is. I think Brandon Ninja's going to stick around, and you know some of the front staffers have been there since I was hanging around that program. So that's a they're going to have some continuity there, but I think that that class was contingent on Backage making Michigan a national contender, and you're not going to have that anymore. I think that Tracy's going to have to start a little bit behind. Yeah, I think he will start behind, but the it. I mean, there has been some defection. It isn't clear how permanent all these defections are. I mean, the big ones are are Overtop uh, and and Bertram. Now, I think Bertram is going is going to Clemson for sure. I'm not sure about Overtop. Overtop uh, was going to wasn't he like a pro prospect though? Think he, he, yeah, he might be getting the draft anyway. Uh, Weiss, I don't. I he might have gone to Clemson, Clemson too. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, that of, of existing players, aside from those that go into the draft, there hasn't been a lot of defection or much defection in terms of their class. They lose a guy named I think is I think it's Brandon Naraki who's a 9.5 star out of 10 and there's a is a pro prospect he's a shortstop he's mm-hmm. going he's he's going with with uh Bakic, uh, i think and uh there's another guy joe allen who's unrated he throws 95 he's a big pitcher wasn't uh, there a kid but, is the who's the kid from orchard lake there was a kid from orchard lake that was yeah uh he he that one is a the bigger risk there is um uh, is he's a big first baseman uh, who has a lot of power, a great hitter, uh, and, but uh, he's more likely to go in the uh, in the pro draft. Mm. And so the question there that the bigger risk there isn't has always been with him. Will he be? Is it Shobart? No, something like that. Uh, the bigger risk, yeah, the bigger risk with him is that he'll go in the uh, draft. But they. You know, uh, Eric was correct. He did recruit a really good class this year, and he's got it lined up for next year, too. How many of those kids will come to Michigan? I don't know. But the bigger risk of defection on those kids, I think, is uh, Major League Baseball as opposed to the, that draft as opposed to uh, running running off to Clemson, although we may see some of that also. Um the, I mean, in the short term, the issue for Tracy Smith is going to be how much, how many of these kids he can piece back together, uh-huh. and 
and and and let's face it, Michigan this year had a had a had a kick-ass offensive team that could not throw the ball, and so it wasn't it wasn't like you know uh, it wasn't like Michigan was killing it uh, uh, from the mound because they weren't they were they were awful, and and so uh, Smith has you know some things to piece together, and I don't. If- if I, I develop, see it as an okay choice. If someone yeah. had a, had a way to develop college pitchers, they would just destroy it in the in NCAA baseball right now. Mm. Nobody's getting developed anymore. They just they they go through all their training beforehand, and you know the the big schools will pick up you know their their staff, and then uh, there's a whole bunch of guys who like didn't make it who become relievers, and they are all they're all in the south. But like having having someone who could like recruit someone with uh with some arm talent and then start him two or three years later like that would change baseball yeah all right very very last one this is uh like a way too early uh way too early because we we haven't talked about Yusef Kayet at all on here have we i don't we think haven't. We, we haven't yeah. we, didn't, think so. we didn't meet last week yeah and so so with Yusef Kayet in the fold uh the roster now set i mean kind of Kind of getting. It seems like all the rosters are set now across the league. How do you see Michigan sort of sh- looking? And we can get deeper into this next week. How do you see Michigan looking in sort of the, the Big Ten race uh, next year? Well, it depends on how much Kyat brings immediately, because uh, you know I think Michigan does need an extra contributor. And Joey Baker is a guy who's ten minutes off the bench, probably maybe fifteen. And if he's able to have a impact like Franz Wagner as a freshman, then I think that raises Michigan's ceiling significantly. That's an open question. Like he's been in France for a couple of years. He's playing for a youth team there of, of a big, big program. He looks good. Um, the long guy. And I'm really happy to see that he shot 35% from three as motion looks good. And, you know, you see these highlight tapes and it's a lot of him like running the floor for dunks, which is great when it happens, but floor spacing is going to be really important, especially with Hunter Dickinson around. And if he's just a six foot eight, shooter who's got some defensive upside i think that's really big for this team because you know t will is a guy who has some size but isn't particularly long and then you have some questions at the three like a guy who can step up and defend wings was a huge problem last year i don't know if that's kyat but i'm not saying it's not either so his his he's a huge wild card just like franz was yeah i see um uh he goes by the by the name incidentally of yo-yo yeah, is what I heard or some red yo-yo Hyatt. And uh, I've seen this tape. I like him, you know, but Michigan is in a, you know, Juwan has his hardest problem in, in his tenure this year because it's a complete blank slate in some sense. It's uh, he's got seven players with first year eligibility. He's got Jason Kobe who didn't really play all that much. And then he's got two kids transferring. He's essentially got two kids out of 13 who really played. I mean, he's got Hunter, of course, which is great. And, and then he's got T. Will. And, and so how this team pieces together is really, really hard, hard, hard to say at this moment. And my guess is it's, for the coaching staff, it's going to be a difficult process or at least a time-consuming process before they actually uh, piece, piece this all together. Um, I think there'll be more ball screens if Doug McDaniel plays because I, th- I won five he's screens. He's got to play. They don't have any guards. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, Llewellyn and Bufkin are the only other guards on the team, unless you can. Well, the unless Jet can play the two, and I don't know if he can or can't. Um, you know, those kinds of guys, they can play the two sometimes, but like you need to have. I, it's 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 about it's about who you can guard, right? So if you're playing a team that's going to be playing two, you know, six three, six four guys, um, then you need to have more. You need somebody out there who can guard another guard, and like they they don't really have that. I don't know if Jets can be able to, you know, take on. Yeah, I don't know somebody that you know somebody that quick. Yeah, there's so many questions right now. It's hard to even begin to answer them. The one thing you can say is that the Big Ten was pretty much decimated. The top talent in the Big Ten. Uh, and so Michigan doesn't look a lot different than anybody else in the Big Ten in this sense. I mean, Michigan State has no big guys. They have a good backcourt. Uh, you know, uh, everybody is is looking at a, a certain level of uh, difficulty in, in restructuring their rosters. I mean, Illinois lost everybody, but they've got new guys in who are talented, how they piece together I don't know how much do you trust Brad Underwood to put together a coherent whole? Uh, <laughs> not me. Uh, you know, Purdue has problems. I mean, they have great coaching, but they lost a lot. So, and, and it's the same throughout the conference. Ohio State has good kids coming in, but they lost their two best players. So uh, it's right now, the, what the conference looks like, what Michigan looks like is no one really knows. Gotcha. All right, that'll do it for us today. Another great roundtable session. We'll get deeper into Michigan basketball next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you folks tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK. The ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor, a cumulus station.